InfoTrack continues. Once again, here's Chris Whitting. Recent research shows that the Supplemental Nutrition Assistance Program, or SNAP, that helps tens of millions avoid food insecurity has an unexpected benefit. It may help prevent child maltreatment. Joining us is Michelle Johnson Moriyama, lead author of the study and professor of social work at The Ohio State University. The bottom line results of your study, the states with more generous SNAP policies, I guess meaning more food for more people, those states had fewer kids involved in child protective services or sent to foster care. Is that about the summary of it? That's correct. So even though SNAP is a federal program that has uniform eligibility determination requirements, there's a lot of variation with regard to how states might implement their SNAP policies. So they have a number of different options, which really, at the end of the day, govern access to the program, as well as the stability of the resources that families might receive through the program. For example, simplified reporting is a policy that allows for less frequent reporting of changes. For example, monthly income might fluctuate a bit from time to time. And sometimes there's a reporting process involved with every fluctuation that can then require recertification on the part of the SNAP program for that particular family. But many states have adopted simplified reporting, which really decreases the administrative burden of implementing SNAP for states. And at the same time, it increases the stability of the resource over time because all of that paperwork and recertification doesn't need to happen quite as frequently. Can you give us the percentages of how boosting SNAP benefits reduced child maltreatment? We found that states that had more generous policies That is, states that really found ways to increase access to the program through their policies. When we think about child maltreatment, there are a number of different stages that families might be involved within the child welfare system. So the first step is when a report is actually made of child maltreatment to the Child Protective Services Agency. And we found that the count of income generosity policies that a state implemented was associated with large reductions in reports that were actually accepted for further investigation. And so we're talking about a reduction of approximately 353 per 100,000 children, just in reporting alone. And then we saw reductions when a child welfare agency or if a court is involved determines that child abuse and neglect took place. And so we saw reductions there of approximately 95 per 100,000 children with substantiated reports. And the thing that was interesting for us was also to see how reports that were substantiated specifically for neglect, we saw even larger decreases in those numbers of children. When we use the phrase child maltreatment, that would include abuse, neglect, and other factors? Those would be the main types of maltreatment that we would see, yes. Our guest is Michelle Johnson Moriyama, lead author of this study we're talking about and professor of social work at The Ohio State University. Professor, if you could wave a magic wand and change national SNAP policies in any way, what would you do? I would certainly like to see more families who are in need of nutritional support 
have access to those resources when it's needed. And so overall, it seems to be access that really increases household resources when they're needed. SNAP is kind of seen as a near cash benefit because it offsets the cost of food. You know, families have other needs too that sometimes a near cash benefit can't address. So to wave a magic wand, I would really want to see us take a look at the safety net kind of overall to see, you know, how families can be best supported. That might mean things like living wages, and it could mean other supports like SNAP and other public assistance benefits, but really finding a way for families to be best supported to address their basic economic needs. So in real life, this would mean perhaps having constituents talk to their politicians and ask for better benefits. Would that be one way? Yeah. And to really look at living wages, I would say most families don't want to rely on public assistance. Most families really value work. And in lieu of having resources that are needed through work, that's really where the social safety net and increased benefits come in. So I think it would be a combination of things we would need to look at to make sure that the basic needs of families are met. Having done this study, do you see perhaps a limit to the positive effect toward maltreatment with SNAP benefits? In other words, if you increase the benefits in an unlimited way, it's not going to completely eliminate maltreatment. Is there a ceiling to it, perhaps? I think there probably is, because child maltreatment is a problem that stems from many different factors. We see that economic resources are really highly correlated with child maltreatment, but that's not to say that every family that experiences economic need also experiences child maltreatment. It's actually quite the opposite. So there are a number of factors we really need to think about when we're addressing this particular problem, but economic resources are definitely an important piece of that. Did you study at all the effects of opioid addiction or other types of addictions that might be limiting the care that a child is getting from the parents? We haven't looked at that in this study. What we did is we did our best to adjust for the opioid epidemic. And we did that in a couple of different ways, looking at the timing of the opioid epidemic and when it affected certain states. And then we also included deaths due to opioid use in this study as well. And what we found was even when you adjust for those factors, which certain states have been kind of hit harder by the opioid epidemic than others, when you adjust for that factor, we still find that these benefits are important even above and beyond the opioid epidemic. And I think that, again, really speaks to the importance of increasing household resources for families, families of low income in particular. With the changes with the economy and rising inflation rates and so on, do you see this impacting families in a more challenging way as far as getting benefits? I do. I think what we're seeing now in light of rising costs for food, rising costs for gas, is we do see people making decisions. Sometimes there are decisions to simply buy less. We see families of lower income also, if they have available credit, we see them using more credit, which means more debt, particularly with rising interest rates. So it is a big concern. You know, I think it's a question of how responsive, you know, the safety net really is in recessionary times. In our past research, we found that 
at the end of the day, it really does appear to be a state's safety net that can either mitigate some of these economic difficulties that we faced in the Great Recession, or certain state policies can actually exacerbate conditions for families, which at least in our past research has led to greater rates of child maltreatment and foster care entry. School lunches are in some cases the only meal of the day for many children in poorer families. Is that a factor in terms of the SNAP benefits? Yeah, our study really looked at a small set of policy choices that states have that govern access to SNAP benefits. But yeah, you're pointing to another important factor for children. Not only lunches, but breakfasts are also part of that benefit and really critical for families of low income. Well, this is a valuable study you've done. Do you have plans for future research in this area? Yes, actually, we are in the process of completing another study that's specific to temporary assistance for needy families so that we can understand more about the nation's sole cash assistance program for families of low income. And we're also very interested in how particular subgroups in American society might be particularly affected by these policies, whether those are dependent on a children's age, for example, because some programs are a little bit more targeted to families with younger children, for example. And we're also very interested in differences that we might see with regard to race and ethnicity because we know that certain groups take up these programs differentially, use these programs differentially, kind of in ways that most people are not aware of. So we're interested to see if these policy changes that states have made over time have any kind of differential effect on different segments of families in the U.S., Michelle Johnson Motoyama, lead author of this study we've been talking about and professor of social work at The Ohio State University. Professor, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me. You're listening to InfoTrack, a production of Syndication Networks.